If you have your Bible, today we're going to be looking in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse number 1 in just a few moments. And so that is not typically a book that we uh, turn to very often. So if you're wondering where that might be, you can go all the way to your left and start turning a little bit to your right, and uh, you will run into 2 Chronicles. So it's uh, not surprisingly, it is right after 1 Chronicles. So 2 Chronicles chapter 16 uh, each fall, monarch butterflies, they actually migrate. And I, I did not know this, but butterflies migrate. They migrate from the United States and Canada all the way down into Mexico. And every year, they go to the exact same mountain. And when I say butterflies, y'all, I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about like five or six of them. It is like millions of butterflies fly all the way down to Mexico. I didn't know that they could make it that far. Now, what's interesting, if you actually, you can actually pull it up and see that. There's so many of them. If you happen to be in Mexico on that mountain when they're coming in, you can hear their wings beating. And there's so many of them that when they land on the trees that it causes the limbs to bend. And so that really fascinated scientists. And so they're trying to figure out how in the world do butterflies know how to find their way from the United States all the way down every year to the exact same mountain. And I think it had to be some guy thinking, I got to get this because we tend to get lost as guys pretty often, but we never admit it. And so they took a sample group of butterflies and they took them out and then they, they painted some of the butterflies' antennas with black polish and then other butterflies they painted with, with clear polish. Now the ones that had the black polish on them they were totally disoriented. They never made it to Mexico. They were lost, wandering around. But the ones that had the clear polish, they were able to successfully navigate their way all the way down to Mexico again. Now, here's what they learned through the experiment. They learned that the sun serves as some kind of GPS system that allowed those butterflies to get to their desired destination. Now, when I saw that story, I thought, man, what a great spiritual lesson for us. If we are going to arrive at our desired destination, then the sun is the one who acts as our GPS. The Son of God acts as our GPS to get us where we need to go. And yet, I'm afraid that there are many of us, spiritually speaking, who are just simply lost and we are disoriented and we have no idea where we're going. And the reason why I think is rather simple. It's because we are wandering around through life in darkness, ignoring the light of Jesus. And so we don't arrive where we would like to arrive. Now today we're beginning a new, a new series of messages and we're going to be talking about the home over the next several weeks. And we're calling it home some assembly is required. Now, you can't just say, hey, I'm getting married, we're going to set up a home and everything's going to be great. I mean, there's some effort that goes into making a good and a successful home and a, and a godly home. And so I, I really believe this. I believe that, that one of the key components into a great home and a godly home, it requires men to step up and to lead. Men to step up and to be godly, to make commitment to the Lord that they're going to be faithful to Him. And, and so the big question is, well, well, how do we do that and, and why don't we see that more often? And I really think we, we live in a really strange time in our culture. And I'm sure every, every generation says this, so it's my turn, so I'm going to say it now. 
I think we live in a really strange time. And whenever we talk about men and we talk about women and we talk about the roles and what we're to achieve, there is more confusion about that than I've ever seen before in our culture. I mean, we have a hard time figuring out what a man is and what a woman is. And the only thing you have to do is you can go to Facebook. And if you sign up for Facebook, if you want to put down what gender you are, did you know you have over 70 choices to choose from? Now, I'm, maybe I'm just old, but it doesn't seem that hard to me. I, there's two choices, right? A man and a woman. And yet now there's, there's over 70 of them. And so when we begin to talk about the role of a man and the role of a woman, and particularly concerning spiritual matters in the home, we wonder why there's so much confusion. It's because we live in a world that's really confused. And so how do we wade through all of the confusion to see some light? And, and I really believe it comes down to something rather simple. You look into God's Word. You look into God's Word to see what Scripture has to say about what the role of a man is whenever it comes to building a home. Because that's where you're going to find the answer. And in the Scripture we're looking at today, we're going to be looking at a man named Asa. Now, Asa was a king in, in Israel. He was the king of Judah. He'd been a great king before you get to chapter 16 of Second Chronicles. He'd been a great king, but as time passed, he began to sort of drift away from God, kind of got lazy, got complacent, created some spiritual confusion. But I believe as I was reading through this scripture, I saw some lessons that we, that are sort of, that we can learn from Asa, the inverse of what to do. And you look at Asa's life and say, I don't want to do what he's doing in chapter 16. And I believe that is really a key for us as men. If we want to build really strong homes, be men of God, then we can look at some lessons that Asa, I'm sure that he did not intend to give. Now, just a little bit of background to 2 Chronicles 16. There was a civil war that was getting ready to break out. Now, at this time, Israel was no longer just one country. It was two different countries. It was, it was Israel in the north and then when you got down to around Jerusalem, it became the kingdom of Judah. Now, y'all, I love history, and so I can probably bore you out of your minds. So y'all just bear with me for about 20 more minutes, and we're going to be done. And then you're going to go, thank the Lord that he's done with that. But hopefully you're going to get something out of this. So, so there's two different kingdoms at this time. And Asa is the king of the south. Asa is one of the few kings that the Bible says that he was a good king. If you read through the Old Testament, it just talks about the kings. He was not a good guy. He was evil. He killed people. Bad guy. And then you get to Asa. And we're told in 1 Kings 15, 11, something very strange. It says, Asa did what was right in the Lord's eyes as his ancestor David had done. It says, he banished the male cult prostitutes from the land, removed all the idols that his fathers had made, he also removed his grandmother, Mecca, for being queen mother because she made an obscene image of Asherah. So she made an idol. So you just go through all the stuff that he's done. So he's a guy who loved God. He wanted to turn his nation back to following God. And if you read in some scripture before you get to chapter 16, there was a time whenever the Ethiopian army came up against King Asa. And they had a million men in their army. So remember, Israel's a really small country. Now it's been divided into two. 
And so whenever he sees that, he gets nervous. And he doesn't know what to do, so he prays, God, help me. Any of y'all ever been there before? You're facing an obstacle you can't overcome. Oh, God, help me. And you know what God did? He helped him. Gave him this incredible victory. So now Asa's like, man, I'm a pretty good guy here. We've just beat a million-man army. So God sends a prophet to him, and the prophet says this to Asa. He says, the Lord is with you if you will be with him, and if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Okay, guys, you want to you know how to be a godly man? Seek God. You seek God, the Bible says you'll find him. If you forsake God, God's going to turn away from you. Now, this is where we are in our text. Asa turns away from God, but we learn some lessons from him as he turns away from God. Now, now what are some lessons we can learn about being a man of God? Well, first lesson to learn about men of God is this. Men of God, if we're really going to be men of God, we will refuse to panic when times get tough. We'll refuse to panic. Now, look with me in verse number 1. It says, in the 36th year of Asa, Israel's king Basha went to war against Judah. He built Ramah in order to deny anyone's access, going or coming, to Judah's king Asa. And so Asa brought out the silver and gold from the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace and sent it to Aram's king, Ben-Hadad, who lived in Damascus. Okay, now, before you all fall asleep, as you're kind of going through that, let me, let me just share with you what's, what's happening here. Okay, so there's a king of Israel. His name is Basha. And he looks down at Asa's kingdom. He says, I want that. And so what he does is he comes down. He goes into their territory five miles from Jerusalem. He sets up a city, sets up a fortification in order to block any supplies and goods from coming in to Judah. Okay, so if you don't receive supplies, you, you don't eat. You know, you don't receive any goods, you can't do business. So he's setting up a siege in order to starve out the people of Judah. Now the question is, why is he being such a jerk? Why is Basha horning in on territory that doesn't belong to him? Okay, geography lesson, real quick. Okay, now on a map, do you, how many of you think that you could find, this doesn't mean you're a bad person or anything, how many of you think you could find Israel on a map? Okay, quite a few of y'all, you can find it. Okay, so if you, you know where Israel is, now I'm going to really put you to the test. To the south of Israel, what continent is to the south of Israel? One in seven shot to get it right. Africa, that's right. So there's Africa down here. So Israel, Africa. Now to the north, when you move through them, this is a little more difficult, but when you move north, there's another continent. It's Europe. You make your way to Europe. So between Africa and Europe is Israel. So it's a land bridge. And whoever controls that land bridge controls trade between those two regions. Is this making sense? Y'all getting excited about this like I do? Okay, so whoever controls this wins. Okay, so Basha is, I mean, he's looking at this, and he's like, I want, I want the money. Does that make sense? He wants the money. So what I need to do, this is what he's saying, I need to beat Asa, I'll take control, and I get cash from the trade between these two regions. So he tries to starve out Asa so he can win. Okay, so that's where we are in our scripture here. Now, I know we're talking about kingdoms, but there's personal application here. Because I believe this. I believe that that is exactly what Satan wants to do with us. He wants to set up siege work in your life so that you will not receive the blessings of God. So that he can starve you out 
and you will miss out on seeing God move in your life. And many of us, when we see Satan come against us, bring temptations our way, bring things into our life that scare us, and instead of us turning to God, we cower in fear. And we miss out on God's blessings. That's why the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 5.8, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. The devil doesn't want you to be blessed. He doesn't want you to experience God. He didn't want Asa to experience the power of God again in his life. And Asa became afraid and he panicked. And he got scared. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting scared. It's how you're going to respond to that fear. And that's where many times we can get into trouble. Now, the question is, is has Satan set up siege works in your life? You know, I look in the Bible, I see that he does it over and over again. One of the guys, one of my favorite characters in all the Bible is Joseph. And you look at Joseph, you read the story about him. Joseph had some insanely jealous brothers. Now, his dad didn't help him any by giving him a coat of many colors. You know, it'd be like, you know, uh, for me, I guess today, it'd be like if I gave one of my kids, if I gave Janie a Maserati and Hank got a Cutlass, you know, from 1983, you know, he'd be a little bit ticked off. So that's what's happening with Joseph. So his brothers say, hey, we're tired of that. He's got the good car. So they take him and they throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, just like I didn't do anything wrong. And then he, he gets out, and he's sold into slavery, and he serves a master. He serves him well, and then the master's wife accuses him of, of, uh, of rape, and he didn't do anything, and he ends up in prison. And then he's forgotten while he's in prison. This goes on for 13 years. And I think after 13 years, I'll be thinking, you know what, I don't think God knows what's going on. I don't think God remembers me. And it would have been very easy for him to say, God, I, you not, you're not listening, so now I'm going to take matters into my own hands. But he didn't panic. That's what I love about Joseph. You read about him, and, and you're like, what is he? how does he have that kind of a faith? Well, here's what it was. He trusted God. He just simply said, God, it is, it is you who gives life, and it is you in whom I will trust. And we know the rest of the story that he ended up becoming the prime minister of Egypt. God raised him up and kept his word. And as Joseph comes to the end of his life, Joseph said in Genesis 50, 20 to his brothers, he said, you planned evil against me. He said, but God planned it for good. How can he say that? Because he trusted God. He said he planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Now, Asa did not respond this way. He panicked. And instead of looking to God, as you read through that scripture, he looks for help elsewhere. And he calls up the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria. And he says, hey, you've got, a, you've got a, an alliance with the king of Israel. I'm going, to, I'm going to take all the money out of the church, and I'm going to give it to you to bribe you to now come and be on my side. He doesn't call God. He calls the king of Aram because he panicked. Now, guys, whenever we face things in life that don't make sense to us, when we face things in life where we are, we are in doubt, where maybe our finances are threatened, where maybe health is threatened, where maybe relationships are threatened, the first call we ought to make is to God. And yet many times what we do is we, we don't even think of God, and we think of some other method or some kind of plan that we can come up with where we can manipulate our way out of a problem. That's what Asa did. He panicked and didn't look to God. And so God 
has an answer for this. Jesus said in Mark 8, 35 and 36, whoever wants to save his life, his own life, he said, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Asa faced a trial and he panicked. And he went after a man-made solution instead of God. Now, if we're going to be men of God, guys, we're, we're going to refuse to panic. But another lesson I think we can learn from Asa's life is this. If it, another lesson to learn about men of God is we're going to resist compromise. Man, if you want to build a home that's going to be strong, a home that's going to give a good example to your kids, don't, don't compromise. Now, I'm not talking about don't compromise on your rules and what you like. I'm talking about don't compromise what God's Word says. Let, let me read to you a, a few verses, starting verse number 3. Asa said this to the king of Aram. He said, there's a treaty between me and you, between my father and your father. He said, look, I, I've sent you silver and gold. And so he, he took this from the temple. He took the money from the church. He said, go break your treaty with Israel's king Basha so that he will withdraw from me. And so the king of Aram, it says he listened to King Asa, saw the money, he's like, I'll take it. And he says, and he sent the commanders of his armies to the cities of Israel, and they attacked Aijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the stored cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard about it, he quit building Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa brought all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the, the timber, timbers Basha had built it with. Then he built Geba and Mizpah with them. Okay, this is an interesting passage of Scripture here. So just, just in sort of a nutshell, here's what's going on. So he's, he's being attacked. Ace is being attacked by his brother from the north. And he has an ally. There's a, even further north, there's Syria. And so Israel and Syria have a contract together. And so now Ace is going to try to break it. He says, okay, um, king, king, his name is Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad. He goes, I've just taken all the money out of the temple, I want to give it to you if you promise you won't attack me and start being on my side now. Now, I look at that and I think, does, now, does that make sense to you? Now, I'm sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not a military guy, but I'm sure some of you, as far as strategy goes, you think, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, if he gets, if he gets a contract with a more powerful nation to, to fight off his brother, then you go, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And it works. He says, I'll take the money, and it says that he that he turned his power against the king of Israel. Now, I look at that, and I think that is so clever, so good. And, and you read about it, it says, Basha quits attacking him. They, they take, take over the cities. They start building up their own cities. All looks nice and happy in the kingdom here. But, but here's the problem. Nowhere is God involved in this plan. Not one time did Asa pray and ask for God's help. And guys, let me tell you something. If God is not involved in your plans, then they are plans that are not worth having. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You might be thinking, my plans are working out pretty well. I'm living well, eating three meals a day, got a nice car, had a good-looking family. All those things are fine, but let me tell you something. If God is not involved, then those are plans not worth having because your plans are very short-lived. But God's plans and God's purposes 
prevail for all time. Now, Asa had a victory here, but it came with a heavy cost. The heavy cost is now there was a new king named Aram who's going to start throwing his weight around. And now Asa was going to be doing battle with that guy. Now, that's what fear does. Fear leads to short-sighted vision, and it always leads to compromise, to compromising the things you believe in. Let me give you an example. There was a story not that long ago in Quincy, Massachusetts, about a donut store. Uh, The name of the shop is called the Honeydew Donuts. Honeydew Donuts made a deal with the local YMCA. They just built a $30 million YMCA that they could have a store inside of the YMCA. YMCA says, sounds good. We'd love to have you here. We need people to come in. But it kind of goes against, you know, sort of what we're trying to do here. So here's what Honeydew Donuts did. They said, that's fine. We just won't sell donuts. And so what they did is they started selling yogurt and granola and all that stuff that we all love so much. Okay, so they sold that. And, I, and, I, and I'm sitting there, I'm reading the story. And, I, and here, so here's my thought. That's crazy. I mean, Honeydew Donuts, what do you sell? You sell donuts. I mean, that's how you make your living. That's their mission. Now, whether you like donuts or not, I mean, that's just who they are. But because they wanted to be in this new YMCA where there's so many people that were going to be there, they were willing to compromise who they were to get their foot in the door. Now, here's my theory on this, or my thought on this. If you're a donut shop, sell donuts. That's who you are. Now, if you are a Christian... Follow Jesus. If you're a person who says you love God, then let your actions show it. You know, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Asa compromised his faith, and it carried with it consequences for the rest of his life. So, so what are some lessons to learn about men of God, they refuse to panic, they will not compromise, and this is the last thing, that they're going to operate in faith. Guys, if, if we're going to build homes that are going to last, we must be men who will operate in faith. Verses 7 through 9, last verses I'll read. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, because you depended on the king of Aram and have not depended on the Lord your God, The army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a vast army? This is the million-man army they'd beaten. He said they had many chariots and horsemen. And when you depended on the Lord, what did the Lord do? He handed them over to you. For the eye of the Lord ranges throughout the earth to show himself strong for those whose hearts are completely his. You have been foolish in this matter. For from now on, you will have wars. So so what happens here? Asa compromised. Asa panicked. And he looked for a man-made solution. He looked for direction in his life from himself instead of God. And a prophet came to him and said, because you did this for the rest of your life, you're going to face the consequences. You're going to face war. I thought about that. I thought, you know, I think there's a whole lot of us who are facing so many different kinds of wars in our lives for a real simple reason. 
Because instead of looking to the direction of God for answers in life and how we're going to live, we look for answers from within ourselves. And guys, that never leads us to where we want to be. Because our answers are short-sighted and they don't have lasting vision. You know, sometimes we can become so short-sighted that we lose sight of the big picture. There's a, a fascinating story, and it's a tragic story, but it was 1988. There was a uh, parachuting team that was jumping out of a plane, and they wanted it to be, they wanted a videographer while they did it. And so uh, they, they jumped out of the plane. The videographer jumped out with them, and he's filming them, and you see the men, they're doing their tricks, and they'd open up their chutes, and, and then he'd film the next guy. After he filmed the last guy, they, they recovered the film that the camera, after he filmed the last guy, all of a sudden starts going berserk. And then it just goes, it blacks out. What had happened is whenever they jumped out of the plane, the videographer was so caught up in the moment and in the excitement of the shoot that he never put on his parachute. And so he jumped out of the plane filming. And I'm sure that as he's going down, I'm sure that it was, I'm sure it was exciting that it was, that it was a rush until it came time to pull his ripcord. And when he reached up for his ripcord, it was not there, and then the camera begins to go back and forth. And the result of that, of course, is the man ended up falling to his death. Now, we all know that that guy, he knew the importance of a parachute. You know, before he jumped out of that plane, I'm sure that he, in his mind, he was thinking, yeah, it's, it would be good to have a parachute on before you jump out. But let me tell you something. Knowledge about a parachute is something that is completely different than actually having one on. Would you agree? Same thing's true about faith. Now, there are some of you who have great knowledge about, about matters of faith. Some of you have been in the church since you were in a crib. You know, your, your mom, before, I mean, before you were ever born, you were in Sunday school. You're in church service. You know all about faith. But there's a big difference between having knowledge about faith and having your faith in Jesus buckled on. Asa, in his life, he'd seen God move. But he made a decision to operate in his own power. And when he did, in the, the verses before this, where we started here in chapter 16, he was a man of victory, but from, then, from this point on, he becomes a man of defeat because he just left his faith. He had knowledge, but he never applied it. And when you look at his life, you see that he mistreats people from this point on. He ends up getting a disease in his feet instead of turning to God. Instead of turning to him for his mercy, he turns to himself, and he ends up dying in his sin. See, he was walking, he was walking by sight and not by faith. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, I really believe this. I believe some of us are living in defeat and despair. We don't have any hope. We don't believe things can change. Some of us are tired and we're worn out. We put all of our marbles in ourselves, all of our marbles in our 401K or in our job security or in relationships that we have. And then what we discover is that time marches on, people let us down, circumstances don't always work out the way we had planned for them to, and so we have nothing that is firm to hang on to. And we're disillusioned. And then I look into Scripture, and I think, what does it take for me to be a man? 
And I mean to be a man of God. Well, I look at Asa and I learn some lessons from what he didn't do. Refuse to panic. Resist compromise and operate faith. Believe God. Believe what he says. I have never met a person who trusted God who said that was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. I've always seen people say, it was tough, but you know what? God proved himself. Guys, let's dare to be men of God. Let us dare to trust and rest our hopes in Jesus. That he actually does what he says. You see, if we keep ourselves attached to him as the anchor in our lives, then no matter what storms come, they're going to blow us around. But if the storms come and we hang on to Jesus as our anchor, we will not be moved. We need more men who will not be moved. Heavenly Father, I pray that there will be more and more of us as men who will stand up and say, God, even though I'm scared, even though I get nervous, I feel challenged, Lord, I'm going to root myself in you and in your word, and I'm going to trust that what you say is true, and I will not budge. God, raise up more and more men like this, because it is the only way that we are going to see change begin in our homes and in our nation. And I pray these things in Christ's name.